Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. All right. It's already April. Check that out. You know, I got to apologize. Last week on the show, as we were wrapping up, I wished everyone a happy Easter and then the yeah. next day was Dan's birthday, and I didn't Uh-oh. even... oh we forgot about that, didn't we? I didn't we? even My wish him a happy birthday. was on Easter this year. That must have happened every so often growing up. Yeah. Not seem that common? It seems like Easter's usually in April. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't remember the, the last time or if it ever happened before. Huh. Fun. Have a good birthday? Yeah, it was good. Awesome. Well, happy birthday, Dan. Thank you. This is a little bit late. <laughs> I'm tired. I put it in the Beach Boys, but for some reason I couldn't find birthday by the Beatles. But anyway. <laughs> I had a high school teacher, high school science. Like, he was the biology, chemistry, everything guy. When it was your birthday and he knew it, I guess he kept that list yeah. that most teachers probably get rid of. He knew your birthday, and when it was your birthday, you got brought up to the front of class, and you could pick Beach Boys or Beatles. Uh-huh. And I mean, there's a birthday most days, yeah. so like class would start every day with somebody going up to the front of the room, put on the song, he's dancing and singing and having a good time, and uh, yeah, it's always fun. Gets annoying after a while. So yeah, great throwback. Thanks. No problem. <laughs> I'm here to please and serve. There it is. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Happy birthday, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> Feels good to be 29 again. <laughs> You're not 29. <laughs> he said again. <laughs> again. Yeah. Do you even want to be 29? No. No. I don't. Yeah, my birthday is so not a big deal to me. I don't even care. I don't care about my well, Not only that, but I was talking with some friends about this recently about um, your 20s kind of suck anyway. Yeah, 30s are pretty good. Yeah. You're starting to starting to become established in your 30s. Yeah. Got you got like some nice furniture in your 30s. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's starting not, to buy new things. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like all that like, you know, broken IKEA stuff that somebody gave you. <laughs> or the kind of furniture you know where it's like um well, never that's... meant to be moved. That stuff's good if you like build it in location and leave it right yeah. there. We the minute we... you try to relocate it, it's trash. Yeah, we won't drag a store's name through the mud, but they start with a W. Oh and, yeah, you know, <laughs> and you got that that uh, great um, furniture from there, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so then you can upgrade a little bit usually in your thirties from that. <laughs> you start appreciating like you you might even go buy used yeah. solid wood stuff because you just went through a decade of buying yeah. particle board crap. <laughs> right. uh-huh. <laughs> huh, that's funny. 
So I missed a few days this week. My kids were on spring break, so I took them up to Big Sur. We went camping in the Redwoods, which was epic. And uh, it's been a while since I've been to a place where we'd had no cell phone service. Uh, Totally disconnected. No electricity. That's great. I did that in Yellowstone. It was actually a really good feeling. Yeah, I I told myself I'm going to do it more often. Yeah, Because for the first day, I was... Wildly <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, and then and then also though thinking because we were up there for three days, I was thinking, what are we gonna do for oh, three? Oh, you, days? dude, you can. I mean, if you can't figure that out up there, I mean, that's so simple to figure out. Just enjoy the place for three days. Yeah, and so yeah. obviously then as we're like realizing it's our last night, and yeah. you know that all sets in that you have to go. The kids are like, can we stay longer? Yeah. Um. And we could have, but I had the radio show to do, so we came back. But uh, no, we just had a great time, and we mm-hmm. we found plenty to do with, mm-hmm. you know, hiking. We went on a bunch of different hikes, and mm-hmm. uh, pl- I've been going to Big Sur for a long time. We're really lucky to live this close to Big Sur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people that we met there had driven from, like, the East Coast. That's crazy. To, go to Big Sur. Well, it was mm-hmm. one of the stops, obviously, on their whole trip, but mm-hmm. such an awesome place. We had We just had so much fun. And I went and did things that I'd never done before. So it was really fun. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, point being, I was I was radically out of touch this week, which I think um, is necessary to get totally unplugged from time to it, time. It's actually really good, yes. But now I feel at a real disadvantage for the radio show this morning. <laughs> um, when I hit Civilization yesterday, got my first... Uh, Little bit of check in here. I saw the 10 years down to 1.79. It's pretty wild. Janet had a little, uh, gave a little pep talk too. Yeah. So what happened? Well, the big, the big news of the week I thought was report. Right. You know, that's always the headline thing. Um, usually the first week or first Friday of the month, but when the first Friday is a, well, it was the first yesterday, huh? Yeah. yeah. They so, yeah, have it delayed it in the past Sometimes if it falls it like on the first day. It's yeah. like they need a few days in that month to get it all together. Well, they didn't delay it this this month, and it was a good report. Although the headline number, the, the unemployment rate itself, went up a tenth of a percent from 49 to 5%, it, it was due to more participation. So they're seeing more people... Um, you know, participating in the labor force, that participation rate rose a tenth of a percent as well, which attributed to the tenth of a percent. Does the participation rate trip you out a little bit? Are there really people that are like, I just picture these guys are like in their sweats with their <laughs> Netflix on and they're just like kind of peer out the window. What's that? Oh, people are hiring. Huh? Not enough for me yet, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have another round of bonbons. And what's that? Wages are increasing. Point three percent. Point four is my magic number. <laughs> when you get there, I'll be participating. You'll see me out there. 
What's your guys' take on this whole thing of raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars by I think twenty twenty two? Twenty twenty two. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it just causes everything else to go up for one thing. Yeah, I but think we'll get there. Hard to say. Eventually. But yeah. Let's, let's develop this topic a little bit more because there's something <laughs> before we get wildly off track. And it's it's okay. so contentious this minimum wage thing. Yeah, I don't think. It's okay, Dan. <laughs> As you were, I'll participate in the but, in the in the labor market. So you you laugh and you say this in jest, but we went through a very tough economic time just eight years ago, and we knew people who had that very attitude. Right, we right. We knew people with that very attitude. So as much as it comes off as joking today, it's a true thing. People are like, well, you know, I'm getting twelve hundred bucks. A month on unemployment. So when you factor in taxes and stuff, you know, I figure I need to be earning about seventeen bucks an hour. Um, so that fifteen dollar an hour job is just not cutting it for me. Stick a pin in that <laughs> when we get to the minimum wage thing, because I actually was thinking about that this week when I read that minimum wage, you know, is now to go to fifteen bucks in California. Um, I thought about those people that needed to out earn. Their uh, unemployed wage, but anyway, yeah, the, that's certainly a part of it for sure. And and I get too that, um, I think it's also people that go and they'll go back to school or they'll live on savings for a little while, maybe while they try to develop a self-employed plan, and or maybe they know. figure it's a good time to switch and in, switch industries, and they need that training or education like you're saying yeah yeah and so it because enrollment is higher i mean we know that so yeah it, i see how there are some people i just i do think it's funny that there are such ebbs in the participation rate um was there the i noticed after the last several jobs report obama's been doing um a like press report after did he do that this time did you see i caught him on tv on friday but i I didn't know that it was necessarily related to that. Yeah, he's been I'm coming out. I'm not always out. paying. It's on, but I'm not always right. totally locked in, you know. He's been coming out like at some point, you know, on the jobs report morning to just sort of give a, hey, this is what's going on kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, jobs created this time again are not necessarily head of household jobs. They're more jobs in the hospitality um and right at expectations, so not majorly market moving, right? Right. In fact, we continued to see um, price improvements in the bond market, which usually a strong jobs report might lead us the other way, might lead to higher rates. But instead, we saw we saw rates hold or even move down a little bit. Um, but I I agree with you. I think that while we'd like to see more head of household jobs, the hourly earnings was higher than expected. They gained 0.3% year over year, 2.3%. That's better. It's better. We're moving in the right direction. Um, so I think, I think that was really the, the highlight. There was a lot of other, you know, figures that came out. We had another, I think this is like the third different home price index that came out. This was the S and P in line at 6% appreciation like the other two were as well um so nothing really new there um we haven't even talked about jobless claims in like 
months. <laughs> I know we stopped talking about consistent it. Consistent now. They're consistently around 250 to 275. This and that's week, where they were they, again. yeah. Well, this week, it looked like they were even up a little bit, 280 or something. I saw 276. It, it was getting, yeah, it was getting to the point where it just wasn't worth mentioning any anymore. Um, the numbers were consistent with that of a, a normal to strong economy. Um, you ever do that thing on your iPhone, Dan, where you, um, now they put the stocks button right there, and it's like part of the iPhone thing you can't get rid of. Yeah. So since I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of it. I thought I'd go ahead and throw a few things in there. So I put, you know, a few of the the stock indices that we like to pay attention to, and then also the ten year bond yield. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. By the way, if you want it, it's an up arrow TNX not positive i did like look up how to get that the that's right the way. bond deal the yeah, for the tenure hmm. like, so they post these articles that make me feel like i just can't understand what they're talking about um, makes me kind of doubt my grasp on this stuff completely um but this week it says a dovish yellen a strong jobs report and a Tesla boom are driving stocks higher this week. Um, This particular article goes in here to talk about um, basically how the position has now reversed to a net bearish outlook on the 10-year and um, are talking now about that range that you were talking about last week, that lower range where Where we might be for a little while. Yeah, Yeah. and um, yeah, so it turns out um, these low rates might be here for a while. Janet Yellen this week um, said that the central bank would raise interest rates gradually. Um, And basically... The quote that they used said that given the risks to the outlook, I consider it appropriate for the committee to proceed cautiously to adjusting policy. Um, These remarks that she made this week are now being interpreted like we may not see another rate hike this year. And Mm. and in part. um, But it was just last week after their or two weeks ago, maybe after their. Um, March meeting that they said they were likely to do two instead of four. Yeah. I think what, what we're seeing is just reinforcing that comment that they are going to do this gradually. But the takeaway I think from this was that probably April's off the table. I, I am a believer that we're looking at probably June and either fall or or december you know so i I think june september december are kind of the the times and it's only going to be two of those three Mm -hmm. um you know it could be both of them later in the year i don't know but it's all going to be data dependent they've been consistent on that for however long they've been talking about raising rates that 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 it's going to be data dependent and right now the economy in her testimony was described as mixed and i think we're all seeing that we're seeing mixed mixed numbers i mean we are seeing some some strength in manufacturing and things like that but jobs jobs aren't wowing any i mean you know we're consistent about two hundred thousand jobs unemployment's kind of holding steady so that's good housing you know we're not seeing booms anymore we're seeing kind of activity 
mellowing out a little bit. We're seeing appreciation mellow out a little bit there. Inflation's kind of that big, I think, that that's probably the biggest metric they're looking at. And we're still just not seeing any momentum there. Yeah, they're, the feds are looking for a 2% year-over-year inflation. I mean, that's been that's not new. And it's currently 1.7% year-over-year. Um, part of that same report, the, the February personal income and spending, showed that personal savings rate edged up five point to 5.4%. So that's good, from 53 um, but yeah, personal income was up 0.2%, um, and spending was up 0.1%. I guess that makes up the extra savings, huh? <laughs> that 0.1%. There it is. It's in the bank account. I pulled down a few articles this week about construction spending, um, kind of tie into that housing topic of what's going on out there. Uh, there's no doubt when you, whenever you read all these things, everybody references the shortage that is. Um, so construction spending inched up 0.1% um, level in eight years. Um, the uh, yeah, those numbers just kind of continue to do just fine. Um, Construction boom peaked in 2006 before falling for the next five years. Not a big surprise there. Um, and so far this year, construction has jumped 10.5%. We're at $1.1 trillion, which is that, yeah, that highest level since 2007. So it's good that we're still building things. But a lot of even what the builders are writing seems to be mixed. There's a home builder sentiment where they said... Um, Anything over 50 is generally deemed as a positive outlook. And, and that sentiment, that's the National Association of Home Builder sentiments at like 60. When you get in there and look at what the home builders are talking about or experiencing, it's, it's expensive to build homes. And, you know, like I mentioned last week, an article points out that most home builders are frustrated with the lack of good lots, land available to build, and also the lack of labor. I think a lot of the tradesmen um, kind of moved on, or at least there weren't new ones coming up through the mix where, you know, you weren't building those houses for those years. Yeah, those guys can't just sit on the sidelines for eight years. Well, and you can't <laughs> learn by what you can only learn so much by watching the Bob Via, you know, Yankee <laughs> right. workshop before you actually need a hammer in your hand to be ready. Um, but so then additionally, though, some of the home builders are just saying that they're just choosing to get out of the um, median level housing game and head for high end custom builds where profit margins are bigger as you're not looking to make an affordable product, you're looking to make a quality product that people will pay a premium for. That makes sense to me. Um, and then additionally, the other game plan, the only way to help kind of make it more and more uh, profitable in, a, in an environment where it's hard to make money on that. And, and I guess most homeowners are like happy that their house is worth more. Um, but you're not finding people out just rooting for increasing home costs. That's not that's not a big part of it. Um, so the builders, all they can really do is try to build um, nice homes on smaller lots as it just becomes the norm. So it, 
all in all, as I read through these articles, it feels like the builders are really grappling with trying just to be profitable in building right now, to find opportunities to build where they can actually make a profit. Um, and that's not exactly helping our need for affordable housing and our current shortage. Um, so interesting, you know, those those numbers sort of make you wonder if this isn't the climate that you can build in and all we're looking for is increased wages and, you know, including minimum wage and things like this. All we're doing all of that while we also want more affordable housing where those line, if those lines aren't intersecting in today's environment, where do they intersect? Well, um, seems again, it's like one of those things where I just go, I don't know. I don't, that's a complex thing and I don't know what the answer to it is, but it seems pretty difficult. Um, yeah, it really is. I mean, you're talking about builders struggling to make profits. I mean, they may really, and we were talking about this the other week when we had a big a representative from a big local builder on that they they probably do pretty well because they're building at scale but most builders aren't building at scale like that there's a handful of those guys yeah. in the country and you have you have them needing to price things where they do just to scrape a little profit out but at the same time you've got unaffordable or home affordability at what is it it's like a third of most major metro populations can afford the homes that are being built. Um, so you have terrible affordability issues. You have builders that are barely making profits, so they can't come down there. You've got wage stagnation. So it's not like there's optimism going forward that people are going to be able to afford these homes where builders can make profits. So yeah, where does where do the lines? Well, intersect? and these builders are enjoying super low rates, as are all their right. vendors. Yeah, so and that's not going to last. When forever. you're flooring lumber, I mean, you see those trucks go by with the stacks and stacks of two by fours or trusses or drywall. A lot of that stuff goes on account from one company to the next where it shows up, you know, here at 84 lumber to be sold or whatever, the, those are typically on flooring lines. So a lot of this stuff is made affordable right now still, and you still are in that crunch to, to figure out how to make it more affordable. Uh, it's It just seems difficult. Um, this week, Lawrence Yun, um, his name's been around here for a while. He's the National Association of Realtors Chief Economist. In reference to the pending home sales, which I'll tell you about in a minute, but this is his actual quote, warmer than average weather and more favorable inventory conditions compared to other parts of the country encouraged more households in the Northeast to make the decision to buy last month. Overall, while sustained job creation is spurring more activity compared to a year ago, the ability to find homes in affordable price range is difficult for buyers in many job-creating areas. With home building still grossly inadequate, steady price appreciation and tight supply conditions aren't going away anytime soon. So it sounds like, I mean, Yun's putting his finger on it that where the jobs are being created is... That is just putting extra pressure on the housing market there. And so this remark that he was quoted on this week is in relation to the pending homes index. 
pending home sales are previously occupied homes. So like your used house. I don't know why we don't just call them like new homes and used homes. Um, <laughs> because used it feels dirty. Um, pending home sales index was up 0.1% in December to a reading of 106.8. Those things are fascinating. I, I figured, I, I went and learned this, by the way, so that I could enlighten you. An index of 100 is equal to the average level of contract activity in 2001. So that's like where they set the curve to the perfect A was 2001, hmm. um, where the National Association of Realtors considered a normal, balanced market um, for the U.S. population at that time. So now that became the benchmark of health in the real estate economy nationally. And the index above or below that 2001 um, setting of the curve there, uh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Is is the National Association of Realtors the appropriate body to be determining the benchmark level? There's right. a financial <laughs> interest in there. By the way, <laughs> I'll do this with my realtor friends all the time, but you remember the commercials in like 2007, 8, 9. Now is the time to buy. Um, right. They've always been the time to buy. Um and you know what? I mean, I guess to their defense, if you bought there in 2009, um, yeah, it was probably a little lower in 2010 or 11, but now it's above that, right? So I guess fine. Wherever you snap the shot, you know, fine. It, it is a it's good like, time. It's like the Mortgage Bankers Association saying, you know, 2006 is like a good normal market. And anything below that, we should probably be lobbying the government for some, for some help. Yeah. It seems a little... A little funny. Maybe an independent body determining that. Anyway. Um, we need to do a commercial break. And uh, yeah, gosh, it's already 930. I'd, I brought in something. I, there's, a good, there's a good conversation coming because we've talked about this from time to time. Our short loan terms here in the U.S., this archaic 30-year loan period and how it damages affordability. So I have a news article here I want to share with you. Um, but let's go ahead and do a commercial break, take some time out to thank the sponsors. We'll be back in a couple of minutes here with another segment of Mortgage Matters. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. So, uh, you know, it's April 2nd. I'm feeling rejuvenated. A couple days off. I'm ready to just solve the world's problems here. Um, our good friend Jim. He brought up this increased minimum wage. Yeah. That's catching fire. Mm-hmm. It's spreading across the nation. And well, it started in San Francisco. They went up to $15 in San Francisco, I think. They've been they're, up there for a while. They're already there. Yeah. So now they're going to want 2025. Probably. But you know what? Well, is that where we're going or are we going elsewhere first? Yeah. Well, I think before we get too far into that, um, I think at the core of it is trying to help people um, meet their basic needs is the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, things are expensive. And when you're caught in that lower end, if you if you are forced to take um, one of those jobs that's not intended to be um, a head of household job, not supposed to be the kind of job where you're taking care of um, – you know, the primary earning for the household, paying the rent, paying all the bills. Um, you're struggling. I mean, that's a reality of it. So in, a, in an effort to figure out well, how do you balance that more? How do you make it more affordable for people to live? One of those basic needs being housing. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, that's our biggest bill, right? What's wrong? Did you lose your ears? Is your headphones down? Did you need me to step in over there? No, I got it. It's in and out. I'm there. Housing. Okay. <laughs> Basic need. Yeah. 
headphones basically in radio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. But well, so plug into th- plug into three if you have to. I think the bottom line is that um, here. I mean, what's your biggest bill for some people? It's turning out to be healthcare now. If you had a situation where you're, you know, later in life and you've paid off your house or whatever, healthcare is probably gonna be your bigger bill. Um, but for most people, Mortgage. your house payment by far, right? I yeah. mean, my house payment, uh, my next biggest bill is two hundred and fifty bucks a month, right? So I mean, it's definitely the lion's share um to that i mean the, the budget that's a the biggest deal and so think about this i mean i there's like three components to what your house payment needs to be it's how much you need to borrow the rate at which you're going to borrow and then the period at which you're going to pay it back over um there was some I'll say some. There was talk and debate when the, when our government decided that something more than thirty years was not a qualified mortgage. Right. So it I was one of many loan characteristics that was deemed to be um, predatory. Yeah. Right. Well, and so <laughs> and here's the here's the deal. Um, when they looked at that, I saw some of the calculations on it. The net benefit to the consumer of doing a 40-year mortgage over a 30-year mortgage, it's it's pretty hard to argue um, that there's that it's good for the consumer. Because the, real, the interest cost is so yeah, much more. Yeah, the interest cost is crazy more. Yeah, but you could argue the same between a <clears throat> excuse me between a 15 and a 30-year fixed. Sure. I mean, I've I've done the math on a 15 and a 30-year fixed, and you pay. Um, you pay like four times as much interest on a 30 year as you do on a comparable 15 year. Right. But most people can't afford a 15 year payment, especially hey, first time home buyers and stuff like that. Sometimes you got to go to extreme to make a point. Right. <laughs> right. Cause where do you draw that line? And by the way, this is when we start into the minimum wage talk, this is going to be, um, part of my, discussion there is why 15 if we're going to do that let's do 30 hell let's make it 100 and make sure that everybody's in good shape you know at some point you got to take it to that extreme to see how where the problem exists okay but so let's go back to this idea here of in the u.s the predominant loan term is 30 years i mean it's it's like 90 percent of loans are 30-year loans right so guess what in uh, Sweden? Did you see this article yet about Sweden? I did not. Um, Sweden this week recently cut the maximum mortgage term. Their uh, maximum mortgage term. Hang on, Dan's playing operator now. I'm losing my... Maybe we should just go straight to the air, Dan. <laughs> okay, what's your name and uh, where are you from? Dan's fielding the phone call. Seems that Jim went to get fresh right, coffee. Gonna, I'm going to do my best to put you on the air. Hang on one moment. Who is it? It's Brian. Hi, this is Brian. Brian, welcome to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for calling in. I, I had a question for you. Um, so if somebody buys a house and um, 
there on the title and and they're also on the note um what happens when they die as far as the note um does the note become immediately due or um you know so this and is a, if the if the house is inherited by somebody do they does the note have to be paid off what's the deal on that <clears throat> So this gets a little bit, I don't have a lot of experience in this. It gets a little bit beyond me. We talked about this last week a little bit um, where I'd had a conversation with an estate planner who suggested that um, the heirs to a home were able to keep a loan um, that was in the name of the deceased. Uh, And I'm not sure about the details of that. I know from my side, all, all my years and the mortgage banking world, I've not ever come across something where we learned of a borrower being deceased and trying to accelerate that note. So I, I don't think so, but that that is a very good question. And since it's come up a couple weeks in a row now, um, I we will seek out the answer from an estate um, attorney and, and share that next week here on the air. Um, but like I said, yeah, most recently I was talking to an estate planning attorney that said that if you inherited a property, it was your right to the loan as well. Um, it did sound like there was some things you needed to do to, to keep that in play, but I'll get clarification on that. Um, and we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. As a related question, if you want to take your, uh, your house, and you want to put it into a, a uh, living trust, you know, for your kids, um, you know, you have to go down, you have to change the title to the house right? so that it's owned by the trust. Well, does that make the note due and payable, or do they stick the trust name on the note, or, or what happens with the note on something like that? So first of all, some lenders, and we'll actually do this for people where we can um, fund your loan in the name of the trust initially so that you don't have that concern if it's a big concern. Um, If you're going to put your home into a trust, it's probably not a bad idea to call your existing lender um, and get their blessing. Typically, they do want to review your trust and make sure that there isn't anything in the trust that's going to prohibit them from you know their their ways of, you know, remedying a problem with the property and loan. But um, there's typically a process for it. And and I think that the, so first of all, yeah, you need to call your servicer and find out how they're going to view it and treat it. But for the most part, my understanding has been if the people that control the trust are ultimately the people that were originally loaned to, um, that it that it's okay. So, uh, but again, that's a case by case thing. Um, and, and just as sort of a disclaimer to this, you got to remember that these banks, they're probably not thrilled, especially in the increasing interest rate environment to have, you know, 3% 30 year fix out. So some banks might actually be going and looking for reasons to be able to come back and accelerate, um, loan payoffs. And I could imagine that this is probably going to be some pretty fertile ground for that. So I would certainly make sure that if you're going to change the title or whatever, that you're, that you're getting the blessing of your lender, um, you know, just to not have a problem later. Okay. So there's, there's no provision in, you know, the existing, uh, 
note agreement when going in as to uh, you know that death of the uh, death of the borrower doesn't accelerate the loan or anything, huh? To my knowledge, no. <clears throat> okay. Well, thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks. Ready. Bye. We will have to clarify that with an estate planning attorney just yeah that because qu- it is a, it's a confusing thing and yeah. you know we've seen a lot of people where you know a property's inherited or someone else is making the payment altogether which would happen in an inheritance or a death mm-hmm. of a spouse kind of situation and the bank never takes any kind of action so yeah and you know there i i've had this conversation with clients before where they're trying to figure out what the the best possible thing to do is um and generally, I think one of the one of the strategies too, if you just the bank probably wouldn't be aware of it unless there was some kind of a change in mailing address or an interruption to the payment or something like this. And so um, maybe this isn't even necessary. Again, we'll clarify the topic. But one of the things that we've seen our clients do is set up a joint bank account with the person that's going to inherit the property where you can then fund that joint bank account for um, an auto debit payment so that then you're sure that there's never any lapse in payment or any reason to believe that anything's any different at all. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had always, I think, just naturally been under the impression that if the bank caught wind that the person they loaned to was deceased and the property was transferred to another party, be it a relative or not, um, seems logical to me that the bank could call and say, hey, we didn't loan to you and we don't know anything about you and this is not an assumable loan, so figure it out. Um, And But at the same time, I could see where some laws may have been you know necessary to protect those people and so we'll we'll do some research on that this week and and share that information next week you went to play operator right in the middle of this nugget sorry about that my (laughs) my this was my topic for today you're going to talk about sweden and their mortgages yeah so making headlines this week, Sweden cut its maximum mortgage term to... 30 years. 105 years. Holy cow. What? Why the... 105-year mortgage? Why the, like, incredulous response? So what? no one ever pays off their mortgage. Why would you pay it off? It's your biggest bill. It's like this... <laughs> so you can stop paying your biggest it's, bill? It's like this necessary evil, this house payment <laughs> over your head. Well, so that's what the government's upset about, is that these people aren't paying their homes off. The average mortgage term right now in Sweden is 140 years. So cutting it to 105 wow. means people are going to start paying their homes off? I don't think so. Not unless they're buying homes when they're z- born and then <laughs> somehow living 105 years. That's crazy. That's crazy. Hey. Wow. They're just lifetime interest payers. Well, yeah, they are. And, um, but they're, I mean, it's, so we could argue there's two sides of this argument very easily. Number one is, and, and I want to start by saying sometimes you got to take things to extreme to make a point. One of the things, the problems here is that, um, it's, 
in Sweden, these can it's multi generational housing, right? Yeah. So it's not not necessarily a house that like, you don't just move out, go buy your house, and pay your house off. I mean, sure you could, but um, house yeah. prices. I mean, talk about like a home price inflation where things are very unaffordable. This is just what it's taken for people to be able to um, hang on to it. And interestingly enough, in this article, it says that. Um, when you inherit the house, because the loan term is longer than the life expectancy of the owner, um, oftentimes the home has to be sold to uh, pay off the debt. Mm-hmm. So think about what that means here. I mean, we're at this mark where it's all about affordability and this problem with affordability. And staring you right in the face is the fact that the builders cannot build today at an affordable amount. Land costs are high. Labor costs are high. high. Environmental costs are high. The the plan review, school fees, impact fees, use fees, circulation fees, 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 um, the fees, fees, fees. There's so many fees and so it's just so expensive to build. But again, guys, there's there's three moving parts to this formula. How much you borrow the rate at which you borrow, and then the term in which you repay it. So, so there, it sounds like there's not a lot of room to adjust the amount that you're borrowing because the home is priced where the builder can make a little bit of money and the person buying it has what they have to put down. So unless they have a money tree to put more down, they, they have what they have. So there's not a lot of room to move there. British regulators, when tackling the same issue, said um, their goal was to prevent lenders from making loan terms beyond somebody's likely retirement. So if you came out of the woodwork at 24 years old and said, here, I'm I'm to buy a house, I want to buy a house, and they're really expensive, um, give me a 50-year term, and I'll retire when I'm 74. This is kind of interesting here, guys. I, I found some average, Sweden's average uh, home price, but I could only find it for 2013, the local, the the most That's recent. Fine. So um, it says that the new housing figures reveal that would-be homeowners would be set back 1 million kroner, which is the their term for dollar, and that that at that time uh, translated to one hundred fifty seven thousand six hundred thirty four dollars in twenty thirteen. We studied Sweden a bit in school. Um, interesting country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've got some pretty sweet labor rules mm-hmm. and minimum wage standards and all these other things. Um, at the time, I don't know if this is true anymore, but it was the Sweden boasts the happiest people in the world. Their citizens are truly happy. Well, I don't know. San Luis Obispo County apparently is the happiest place on earth, or San Luis Obispo. I don't know. Disneyland's the happiest place on earth. (laughs) Disneyland's the happiest place on earth. On earth. Okay, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Copyright infringement there, too. Sorry about that. But anyway, um, happiest place in America or United States. Yeah, I know. When I was in school, when we were studying Sweden, they um, was like... On any given, so in it's in Sweden, it's like almost illegal to fire somebody. You have to have like some substantial cause. Um, the 
the paid time off and the benefit package is just pretty lush. On any given day in Sweden, more than 25% of the labor force calls in. Like it's just, but their, but their quality of life. I mean, it's just a different, um, they're very like outdoorsy and active and happy and healthy. Um, just a, one of those things where it's not all about, you know, slaving away to make that bill. Um, in this case with these long home terms to make it more affordable, it kind of seems like it goes hand in hand. Um, if you, and by the way, let's just think about this for a second. If we suddenly rolled out 60 year mortgages in the U S tomorrow, so your house payment goes from 2,500 bucks a month to, I don't know, 1200 bucks a month. Sweet. That's some killer affordability for you. What does it mean for the guy that's next up to buy? 1200 bucks a month. He's getting this great deal. So it seems but he's like chained to this 60 year debt or something uh, before too long. It creates an affordability that didn't exist before, which creates upward pressure. And so you can see how later you have a country like Sweden coming in going, Hey, 140 year mortgages is kind of stupid. We're going to scale that back and maximize it at 105. Um, I imagine they're trying to figure out how to reel that in. So Somewhere in the middle probably is where there's a um, a good balance. A good balance. Well, so you're talking about the three components to financing a home. Sure. The loan amount, which we kind of established, there's not a lot of room to move there. We can't really make it go down dramatically. There's not a good way to do that. In fact, we tried that in this last recession and it didn't work. We couldn't hold it down. There's the interest rate. Yep. Which are historically low. Can't right really now. go any lower. Can't go much lower. They've already been a little bit lower, but they can't go much lower. No. And then there's the term. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're focusing. Well, and now we're, here. are we addicted to low interest rates? I mean, seriously, well, this is, let's have a talk, real conversation about this. We're addicted to needing affordability, I think. I mean, okay. it's but, not even addiction, but it's if you a necessity. Can't, but if you can't change the balance or the amortization term. Then yeah, we have to have low interest rates. It's not an addiction. It's a, it's a need in order to afford homes. Right now, in too many areas, only a third of the population can afford to own a home. Right. And so then there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, not everyone needs to be a homeowner. Agreed. Not everyone needs to be a homeowner. But rents are also skyrocketing. And that's a function of whoever does own the home, you know, has some investment in that and needs sure. to get some kind of return. Or it's just, and it's also some component of, of demand and, you know, supply and demand. So it's not just homeowners that are experiencing affordability issues, it's also renters. And so one way to create affordability is looking at 40 and 50 year term loans. And I was working on some numbers here just to kind of put it down so people can kind of understand what that means. An average loan around San Luis Obispo is a $400,000 loan. Right. You know, buying a $500,000 home, which is kind of like entry-level homes in most of San Luis Obispo, putting a 20% down payment, you're financing 400 grand. At 4%, a 30-year fixed is going to cost a little over $1,900 a month, principal and interest. That's not even counting your taxes and insurance. Sure. When you do a 
and you're going to pay almost $300,000 of interest over the life of that loan. When you do a 40-year term, your payment goes from $1,900 down to about $1,670 per month. Same interest rate, same loan amount. You're just extending that term out to 40 years. Um, now they're paying over the life of the loan interest that goes from like 290 to 400,000. So it is a big increase, but I would argue for most people, it's about getting in because then you start building equity and yeah, you're paying more interest, but what's the alternative? You're going to go out and pay $2,000 a month to rent this comparable home where you're building no equity and have no, I mean, that's some people's retirement plan is just being able to own their home free and clear and then not having that bill to pay. Right. So if you're never able to get your foot in the door, then you never have the option of eliminating a home, a housing payment. Right. So this at least, you know, this increases affordability. A 50 year term drops it down to about 1500 bucks a month. It increases your interest cost another hundred grand. So there are some trade-offs here, but does that help get people in the door? Does that help raise affordability in, in a lot of cities from a third of the population to half or more. I would argue that it probably does. It's an interesting thing to discuss. And I'm surprised that we decided here that it was predatory for any term greater than 30 years. The 30 it's, years. I have an idea why it's because most of the time when you saw a 30 or I'm sorry, a 40 or a 50 year loan term, this is back in the, the aughts, the 2000 to 2005s, most of the time when you saw those terms... They had a prepayment it, penalty well, or it a wasn't 30. That. It wasn't... You weren't seeing a true 40-year fixed or a 50-year fixed loan. What you were seeing was a 40 or 50-year amortization Doing tied 30. to some kind of option arm negatively amortizing loan because it was all about this game of getting the lowest payment because I'm a flipper or I'm, you know, the whoever who has my 10th investment property and I want cash flow and I'm going to, you know, if times ever get tough, I can just sell it and it's going to be worth more. So there was this game being played by the bankers that were offering these ridiculous terms. And so you'd see a teaser rate of 1% with a negatively amortizing payment and a term of 50 years, because that's how you get the rock bottom payment. That's how you can buy a million dollar home for two grand a month. Well, but we never saw a, a, re, people really getting into the 40-year fixed loan where they're paying fully amortized yeah, principal that's interest. True. We never saw that. So that's why it got lumped in with predatory terms. That's my take on it. You had something to add? No, I gave you a one-minute warning. Oh, just a one-minute warning. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. <laughs> I want to continue on this because I think there's more to be said about loan terms and the likelihood of someone actually paying a mortgage for 40 or 50 years. I don't think that that's really the path that most people get on, even in today when we have 30-year terms. Yeah, there's enough people that elect a shorter term anyway. And would it change your game path? Probably not. But would it would a $500 a month savings for somebody make a tremendous difference in their life, a 25% reduction totally. in house cost? That's your food bill right there. All right, guys, we're going to do a top-of-the-hour commercial break. We're going to be out for a few minutes. We have another hour of Mortgage Matters. Hope you'll stick around. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, 
Here's Dan and Jason. Alright guys, welcome back. So we're having this fascinating conversation here, and you know, I hope maybe that the like House Financial Services Committee is listening <laughs> today. Um, I do personally think that there's there should be a good, long, thought out dialogue about uh, how to how to sort of revamp um, the the mortgage market. We have an addiction to. Fixed rate mortgages, we know that. We have a, a need. It's a dire need because that's the only way we can afford homes. Right. Most people. And so, you know, over time, I and I was trying to think about this. Like, what could you do? Because, um, so first of all, let me just give you guys a little rundown. Um, if you want a seven-year fixed rate mortgage... And I'm not saying fixed for seven and then adjustable. I'm talking a loan that amortizes for 84 months. Um, we can do that for you. You can get a 10-year loan or a 15-year loan, a 25-year loan, um, a 27-year loan, whatever term loan you need. But then the cap is at 30 years. You can't go beyond that. Not not in the qualified mortgage world. Dan, can you get, is there private label securities that if they hold the amount they have to keep under the qualified mortgage rules that could do a 40 or 50 year yeah. loan? Well, I don't know if there are. I'm, but, but you could. You could. The, the financing institution just has to maintain a financial stake okay. in that as a non-qualified mortgage. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, in, you know, and what if you did like, I mean, what if they did something where, um, I don't know. It's fascinating to me that the government is still in control of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are wildly profitable. They've repaid all of the bailout money that they've gotten um, and then some, uh, it, it seems like a great opportunity for the government to be able to sort of retool a little bit. Um, we're getting into these things now, like the, the statewide minimum wage and, and that by the way, is a growing sentiment, this like $15 club thing. There's a bunch of States that are looking at similar proposals right now. Um, and I get, I think they're all tied to, Number one is just in this, this is the, this is the part I think the crux of it all is a desire for people to be able to meet their minimum needs. And I think everybody would agree that's, that's not a political issue. That's not a partisan issue. That's not a, that's just a humanitarian need is that we want people to be able to, um, to meet their basic needs. And, um, I think, for me, like I could see something clever where um, if you like maybe you have to show an economic hardship where you live in an area to okay? get a, to get an extended term. Yeah, life. like you live in an area where um, 
It's a high cost area. It's a high cost area. It exceeds the median um, housing cost for the county or for the state or whatever. And then there's a debt to income ratio that slides. And if you're if you're paying 40% debt to income ratio, that they would offer you a lower loan term. And by the way, you could tie that loan term to a different, um, you know, maybe they get a different tax write-off type of thing for, you know, creating that affordability in some other way. I don't know. But the these blanket rules of, you know, oh, it's you do a 30-year fix or you just don't get to buy, one of the problems in that is that it, it creates a market of people where, you know, you got to save. Like I was reading an article in here the other day that if you um, – 13 years is the average that people need to save now for a down payment to buy their first home. That's a long, long time. And when you talk in 13 years worth of – you're sidelined while you save for this down payment. What that that value that real estate might have doubled in 13 years. Yeah, right. And so, like you brought up earlier, there's there is this opportunity. Like maybe people need a 40 or 50 year term to create that affordability to buy in the first place, and then later in life, where you know there's increases in income, perhaps the addition of another family member with good income, inheritance from another family member. Um, a business that finally takes hold and, and gets profitable, um, there would be those opportunities today for those people. It's like, oh, well, now you can come get a 15-year loan. Well, that's great. You can get a 15-year loan. Um, that only helps the guy that's like doing pretty good bang it out and meet his financial goals sooner. That doesn't really help the guy that's like struggling to keep all the balls in the air keep him in the air for this first 10 year period while he's, you know, in his twenties, got all these things going on and can't figure out, you know, how to make the extra money or save the extra money. There's a lot of demands. Like young kids, you've got extra childcare. I could come up with a million reasons why at some period early in your home ownership years, you would benefit from a 25% reduction of house payment. Let's take a call. We've got John calling from Santa Margarita. Good morning, John. Morning. I was uh, I listened to the show and whatnot, and there's a lot of good information on there. But you did touch on something that that uh, I'd like you to talk more about. That's the minimum wage thing. Yeah. And here in California, uh, I don't know what raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. How that's going to help? And we're calling that now a living wage or the rest of it. How that's going to help um, in the long run? When the fact is, minimum wage, at least when I was growing up, was what you started out when you came out of high school or college. Your first job, you got minimum wage. Right. You got minimum wage before you could prove your work ethics and what you were worth. Right. That's that's isn't that really what minimum wage is? Isn't isn't that more of the, the what minimum wage should be? Is, is you go out and you, you're you're proving yourself before you actually can actually go draw a wage that's worth living on. If you're not worth it, well, heck, they're going to boot you. Yeah. If you go out there, my first job, you know, I worked half a day before the owners brother came out and raised my my pay scale for minimum wage up to you know whatever he was going to pay me for the day right because he saw the work i was doing so i i i, I don't feel sorry for these people that are drawing minimum wage for years on end that's that's their own fault for not going out especially this generation that thinks they you know deserve everything handed to them go out and, and earn your earn your way the same thing with the mortgages you know if you can't afford it 
then shouldn't they just think about not doing it until they can? Good. Yeah. I mean, they're great points. With respect to the mortgage, John, I'm curious your take on a on an extended term loan. What do you think about a 40 or a 50 year fixed loan? I think you better have your ducks in a row. I understand why you do it. Um, myself, I hate being in debt, and I, I would much rather take out a 40 year loan and be able to pay it off in 20. Sure. But I understand you know things come up in life. You have, uh, like you say, unexpected expenses and whatnot. But uh, all that being said, if you, if you couldn't afford it in the first place, if I if I drew out a forty year loan, I would I would be doing my best to pay it off in twenty. Sure. Yeah, I I actually think that you know as long as the government's in here making all these rules and requirements, one of the things that would be awesome is that. Uh, they start doing this in credit cards, by the way. Do you ever get your credit card bill and you look at that thing and it tells you if you make the minimum payment, how long you're going to pay for? Yeah. <laughs> I think every house um, mortgage, statement. mortgage statement that you get should have like the four payment options in there for a 15, a 20, a 25, or a 30 year that would show you, hey, if you make this payment, this is when your house will pay off and this is how much money you'll save. Sort of incent people to want to pay more. The mortgage companies should come up with that idea on their own. I don't think the government should have to mandate that the mortgage company to do that. No, of course. Right. But the the you know, I guess the only reason I'm on the government tip right now is that we've got I mean, we've come through this era right now with Dodd-Frank where we've never seen the level of government involvement and scrutiny and regulation um, and for purposes of this discussion, they've limited mortgage terms to 30 years, removing a pretty substantial bit of affordability. Um, you know, And now in this current conversation, was how do you help people then? Well, let's raise the minimum wage across the board. Again, it's kind of like, but well... But that's going to end up hurting more people than it's going to end up helping. It's going to be putting the private industry out of business, at least in this county. Yeah, well, yeah... Uh, we're going to talk about that some more this yeah. as this show. John, goes thanks on. for your phone yeah. call today. I, I really appreciate it. That you're probably not talking about, but all right, I appreciate it. All Thank right. you. Thanks for the call. <clears throat> so yeah, we definitely want to talk about the minimum wage. It's a big topic this week. We want to also finish up our discussion on the term. You were you were saying, and we were talking about this during the last break that there are life events that occur with most people that change their economic situation, and. I was going to argue that the 40 and 50 year term, when we live in a place where an entry level house is four, five, six hundred thousand dollars, it's hard to afford that for a first time home buyer. But maybe a 40 or 50 year term loan that's fixed, you always know what the payment's going to be. If you have to pay it for the full 40 or 50 years, sure. you're never going to be su surprised by some escalating payment or some balloon or anything like that. That that's a great vehicle to get your foot into home ownership and start to build equity. And then, you know, maybe maybe five years down the line, maybe you get married and you add a second income. Maybe, you know, as, as terrible that as... That patent it, comes through yeah. and your great idea is worth a bunch of money. Sure. I was going to say even simple things a little bit easier than that. Let's say that, you know, you're 24 years old, you go to school in San Francisco, you graduate, and you move to a place like... I don't know, San Luis Obispo, where now you need a car. <laughs> so you buy a car, and maybe you have a car payment that's three or $400 a month for five years, 
at the end of the five-year time, now you have an extra 400 bucks a month that you sure. didn't used to have. So for that first five years, if you were in a 50-year loan where the payment's saving you 500 bucks a month, maybe you have to do that right now because you have to pay this car payment. Then once the car's paid off, now you can reallocate that money back to the mortgage. paying off your student loans. And once those are done, then you can put more towards the mortgage. Or how about this idea that, you know, I mean, effectively this increased cost of living has created a need for two-income families. It's very difficult today for somebody to have a stay-at-home spouse um, childcare is very expensive, by the way. So we've sort of forced that, you know, whether it's a because of the cost of childcare, the cost of housing, cost of whatever, we've sort of broken up that model of having a stay at home parent with the kid. Um, so, heck, if you gave me the choice, eh, I'll do a 50 year loan in my 20s and 30s where um, I could have a stay at home spouse then. That added affordability. Minus the childcare costs that I would have to pay if my spouse had a job. Now I can say, oh, for 10 years, I'll do the 50-year mortgage term. Still be able to be buying my house, making an investment in my future, all those things. Um, and then when that situation changes, if my kids are um, in school then or they're you know graduated and out of the house, then I could... Um, sort of revisit my finances, perhaps go into a 20 or 15 year loan where I now have two good incomes without all the, the extra expenses of having young children. So you could think of a variety of reasons why the affordability of that it potentially is a good thing. I think that the negative thing is, is that it with that added affordability, we know that um, comes appreciation you increase market uh power of purchase and next thing you know it has an ability to drive costs up even further i i do think that there's something to that um and that's where i think so some simple standards that tied the affordability to your debt to income ratio and need by way of house values and wages in the area that you live and if that sounds complicated guys don't don't um worry too much about that. We already look at median income and median home values. That's a part of the underwriting, especially if you're getting into any of like my community or USDA or these kind of things where we're taking into consideration already what those numbers and factors are. Um, it's just kind of food for thought. It's interesting to me that we grapple with this issue yet have taken options off the table that seem to not even be discussed um, all the while, there's other examples around the world of places that have adjustable rate loans, longer term loans, um, loans that are uh, even more multi-generational. Um, you know, I, I was I was having this conversation with my parents just last night, um, you know, come up here and maybe we can find a place where we can buy two houses in one like one place. And, um, you know. Perhaps when you're doing something like that, where maybe a 50 year term is appropriate if you're going to buy a house with your kids that are, you know, 20 years old or something and and need that affordability or somehow or other like there, there just could be reasons, even multi-generational reasons where that's just uh, a strategy that I think should be a possibility. Yeah. And I, I get the 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 worry over saddling someone with long-term debt i totally get it but if the alternative is being a lifelong renter we always say on the show rent is a hundred percent interest hundred percent 
So I don't know that that's necessarily the best option either. I am, and John expressed this, I'm, I too hate debt. I am debt adverse. My only debt is my mortgage yeah. and I'm working hard to pay it down. And, you know, I, th I think that's what everyone should be striving for is having a debt free life. It's, well, and think it's about good. this too, though, rent. There, so there are some places in the U.S. where rent is higher than mortgage costs. Around here, uh, mortgage costs, I think, is a little bit higher than rent for the most part. Um, but if you had an option, if you were a, a guy in town that was making you know, household income of $100,000 a year, and option over here was, hey, you could rent for three grand a month, or you could buy a house and the 30 year payment's going to be four grand a month. The 40 year payment's going to be, you know, 3,600 bucks a month. The 50 year payment's going to be 3,200 bucks a month. So you break all that out and you go, do you want to rent or do you want to buy? And in that case, I think most people would choose to buy if the spread was that little, um, which takes a little bit of the pressure off of the rental market and eventually makes rents a little bit more affordable. As long as we keep the uh, expensive, unaffordable, ever-increasing cost of housing um, in day-to-day -day life, rent's just going to come along with that. I, I'm, it's a sad reality of it. Um, and, and by the way, with those increased rents, that's the longer it's going to take you to save for that down payment, um, you know, to be able to buy. So it's just sort of just a, one of those self-perpetuating problems. It'd be interesting. I feel like it would take a, a few weeks of number crunching, but it would be interesting to see if increasing affordability through longer loan terms would actually help ease some of the home cost home appreciation issues. Um, like you're saying, it would ease, it seems logical that it would ease the rental market. Would it also ease some of the pricing side issues of, of what homes are worth? Um, not that anyone wants to see their home value de decrease, but we don't want to necessarily see rapid appreciation that further exacerbates the affordability issue. Right. It'd be interesting to see. Um, I feel like it's a, it's a worthwhile conversation at least i mean i think it's good for you're not going to see everyone just move into 40 and 50 year loans it's only going to be the people who need that for affordability reasons and then on the investment side the the folks that are going to invest in those loans there's good interest there's good returns on them for those side too so i think it benefits both parties and it is just a stepping stone that's how i see it i don't see too many people walking that out for the full term of the loan. I see I mean, it as if a you, stepping stone. If you went and offered, and that's I thing, if you went and offered this to people today, would you like a 50-year loan term? Absolutely not. No. I don't need one. I don't want one. It doesn't align with my goals. Uh, no, I, it's not something for me today. That being said, you know, I, I'm not the target audience for it. That's fine. I don't need it. Yeah. But there are certainly people, and, and we get them into the office all the time, these people that are living at a 50% debt-to-income ratio, they got credit cards they can't pay down, they got retirement funds they can't contribute to, they got kids going off to college that they can't afford to support. Um, there's a lot of reasons why um, you know, those people that are fringier that could really demonstrate the need might benefit from something like it. And, you know, 
It, it's interesting because I think it also ties into like in in terms of that Sweden talk um, about how people inherit this house and then they end up are forced to sell the house to pay the debt. Um, it sort of feels like reverse mortgage here where um, people that they get themselves into a position where they do a reverse mortgage because they can't afford it or couldn't pay it off or whatever happened. And um, then the heirs inherit the property and have to figure out how to pay off the reverse mortgage or sell it to pay it off. Um, in the end, both are really just attempting to solve an affordability issue. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems to me that there's, there's potentially a lot of tools in that quiver that could be used. And um, as one of the greatest nations in the world, we sure seem to turn a blind eye to most of them. Um, and all the while we stare down this issue here where affordability of housing seems to be topic du jour um, always. I think it's time for a break. And I think when we come back, we'll touch on the minimum wage topic that's that's a pretty hot topic this oh, week. oh get ready so we're gonna step aside here for a couple messages from our sponsors and we'll be right back with more mortgage matters to ask a question or make a comment call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know that this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
All right, welcome back. All right, Dan threatened it. Here we go. We're going to talk about minimum wage. So yeah, I uh, I I love arguing. By the way, I don't know if you know this about me. Um, and no, you good, love arguing. Hey, you know what? This is important though. It's healthy to have debate. It's right. healthy to have differing opinions. In fact, after last week's radio show, Jason and I sat outside the radio station for about an hour and a half. I know debating various <laughs> topics, and it was. There wasn't always agreement, but it was yeah. healthy and good, and you know we didn't like hate each other afterwards. Oh, no, you guys we are actually usually... came to some agreement in areas and understanding, but disagreement in other areas. But it was healthy and good. It bothers me when we see our politicians have disagreement and unable to even discuss it. I know. I thought it was funny because I, I came yeah. around to check the front door and you guys were still out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I park in the back, you know, so you guys park in the front and it's like, wow, they're still here. Yeah. Because wow. usually uh, you guys are gone. Yeah. Usually we and have you got, you to get, get on, on with your and... you get on with your weekend. <laughs> I find it fascinating, by the way, that um, so many people that have super strong opinions about something can't sort of have an intelligent conversation about it. Um, if you're the other party is just trying to pin you down into the, the fallacy or whatever it is that causes your difference in beliefs. Um, in all of these arguments, and I wish that the politicians would do this more is to, um, you know, you're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind, but, the real value, I think, is seeing where someone's coming from. Yeah. And then finding the common ground where you do agree on what the issue is. And this minimum wage one, I think, is something similar to that. I started to say I really like to argue, um, and I would love – I used to like to um, debate friends and stuff about things where I would take up the other side against my beliefs and <laughs> see how well I could hold it. So I'm toying with this idea of wanting to argue the pro points of minimum wage. And because um, I do, I do believe that there are some value uh, to minimum wage. And, um, you know, it, heck, I'll throw them out here. It, this, this is a hard point um, for you to disagree with that some of the people that get minimum wage, in fact, we might even venture to say that they're um, a significant group. I don't know about the majority or not, but they're, they're groups that are marginalized in the workplace, whether it's, um, it's women, it's minorities, it's young workers, it's really old workers, like the... 80-year-old guy giving out the the carts at Walmart um, or some disabled people that have they're really great at working at that fast food restaurant you know collecting the trays and wiping off the tables and greeting you with a great smile but they're not going to be the the manager you know what I mean so there's there's these groups that I think that are marginalized that make minimum wage and um, so yeah, is there an argument that those people that are that are being marginalized already d need a way? They're they're at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder as it is, and they need 
more money or a voice, they I guess. A, I, would, uh, I thought you were going to say they need protection against being taken advantage of. Sure. Um, my primary point, and I said this, I, and I think it's, um, it's almost a, a, a poke to your side, I guess. But minimum wage is ultimately a way of saying, if I could pay you less, I would. You're, you're only worth what they force me to pay you. And if you're an employer, um, wear that hat. If you have a minimum wage employee, that's your shtick. You do that because it's a job where the person is highly replaceable, doesn't require much training, keeping them on staff or um, whatever, it just doesn't have a lot of value to you. You say to them, you are worth the absolute bare bone minimum of what they make me pay you. And you and I should both know that. And um, therefore, you know, like John said in the previous call, if you, if you suddenly then you rise, you work hard, you started at the minimums and you've documented that you are somebody worth hanging on to, you won't be at the minimum for very long. And if you are, sadly, you're working hard in a job that doesn't have any upward potential growth and it's problematic. I mean, it, you need that reality check. I'm going to disagree with you on the training point that you made. Okay. That people who earn minimum wage don't require a lot of training. They're, I agree that they well, can I'm be Well, I'm saying from a manager's standpoint. Well, I was going to say with respect to training, I feel like a lot of level positions in nearly every industry um, and they require a lot of management training and I think that's part of the compensation I think when someone demands a lot of oversight and training because they're unskilled and they're learning a position they're learning an industry they're learning different skills and tasks and you're making them more valuable for the future that that in itself is compensation and that needs to be accounted for too. And, you know, but as an, to, as an employer cost though, you then knowing that that costs you your time and resources to train and, and prepare that person for the position at hand. If you don't want to do that again, you better give them a raise, right? Once you've trained them and invested in them, right. then they're worth more because then you don't have to spend your time. Otherwise, you're the training ground, you know, because I'll be the company next door to yours where you want to keep them at minimum wage. Go ahead and train them up. You're a smart guy. You know how to make the widgets too. get them going on factory safety or whatever it is they need to know. And then I'll give them a buck an hour more right next door where I don't have to train them. And I can just quickly be the sorting hat of who's worth their salt and who's not. Well, let's take our industry, for example, even our business, for example. We've got different, many different skill level positions mm -hmm. that aren't sales. You know, it's not just a sales position. These are operations positions. And, you know, the, the most basic one is just answering phones, reception, highly replaceable, really requires very little skills, but they get a receptionist in our industry gets asked some mortgage related questions sometimes. And there's a whole 
like dictionary of terminology that they need to learn sure and they need to learn how to direct calls and how to address certain situations and there's training and so we use that as an entry-level hire where we do pay a much lower wage but if someone proves that they're good and they catch on to just basic things then all of a sudden they're a target for being promoted to a processing position or a doc drawing position or a funder or an underwriter or a whatever where there's you know more income earning potential but they need to be identified at the lower level first before we're willing to make that bigger investment in them but when you start to like force a living wage quote unquote to someone who's really doesn't need to have a lot of skills or a lot of training or a lot of education to do to answer the phones i mean shoot my three-year-old could probably answer a phone um it's you know all of a sudden it just adds to cost and and it's it's a tougher hire and all of a sudden i'm like well maybe i don't want the fresh-faced person who doesn't have any employment history to come in i'm more reluctant to give that person a hire because i don't want to invest as much as my of my time because now i've got to pay substantially more with a minimum wage i do only want to look at hiring someone who's got reception history so i don't have to invest as much time in them and then it makes it harder to even get your foot in the job market there's so many things this makes me think about um first of all i recall some of our original conversations years back about minimum wage and i think that your uh your line of thinking seems to have evolved a little bit in in terms of like when we first were discussing it um i feel like so first of all the first thing that I think of is the people that are on minimum wage are they, when you live on minimum wage, like minimum wage right now, you guys is, um, I mean, you're talking about somebody that is working 40 hours a week and making 15 grand a year. It's very low. That's obviously not a head of household type of job. Um, but any business that has minimum wage employees is going to experience a change in the expense of their company, right? So fast food, for example, I, and I would, I don't know. I never really worked in fast food. My dad landed me a job at Subway in high school that I had for a couple months just um, because he pulled some strings to get me this subway job. There's no way I wasn't going to do it. You know, um, I learned a I learned so much in that job, but other than that, I don't have any fast food experience. So I would say other than in and out, which has done a pretty good job of marketing that they pay their people more than minimum wage. And it's part of their culture that you have a better experience with a higher quality product and all that because of the job's more desirable and the employees are retained and that kind of thing. But look at McDonald's though. If you're going to McDonald's, um, I think, I think it's expected that most of the people in there are making minimum wage. Don't you think? Except for maybe managers. Yeah. Except for maybe, yeah, those like shift managers or store managers or whatever. Um, so when you raise the cost of minimum wage to a company like that, um, one of two things is going to happen, and I'll let you pick what you think the most reasonable outcome is going to be. Um, the owner of the store is going to see a reduction in profit, or 
the cost of the items on the menu are going to go up. I mean, I don't really see any. Is there another option that I'm just blind-eyed to? Maybe a little bit of both? The owner sure. elects to take less profit and raises the cost of a Big Mac. Sure. Uh, likewise, by 20% or whatever it takes to keep it in the black. Um, I gave Pete the example last week in my frozen yogurt store because I think it's a great example. Um, you're going to be looking at the operational risk and cost and what it takes for just to have this nuisance of this small business. And um, if minimum wage exacts the rest of your profit to the point where you just close or raise the rate of the product, then so be it. Um, and by the way, Pete was quick to say that, um, well, I, I think it's great that you charge more for frozen yogurt. Um, frozen yogurt is darn expensive already. Um, as somebody that can afford to take my family of five to frozen yogurt, that's about a $35 endeavor typically. And, um, it's one of those things where not everybody could afford to do that. Um, but the kids, you know, they, the, they're, they want to do it or they associate it to something or it's a special treat or whatever. So the farther you push that out, I mean, if frozen yogurt takes 50 bucks to take your family to frozen yogurt, um, now you're taking frozen yogurt out of the people that are the lower earners and then um, and maybe not even minimum wage, but the people that are closer to minimum wage and you're hurting them because now you've taken frozen yogurt away from them because that high school kid that was, you know, in there sweeping and, you know, punching the register for eight bucks an hour was keeping the cost of frozen yogurt low. Now he's making a living wage of 15 bucks an hour for his 12 hours a week of work. And all that really happened was the price of yogurt went up to everybody that wants to buy yogurt. Um, so I, I realize there's that thing. The, the other part that trips me out a lot is like the in and out thing. So in and out today, um, we have more than a minimum wage. They pay 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. How much is minimum wage? 10 in California. 10. Wow. Okay. Like my first minimum wage job was like 385. It's 10 in California, but I think nationally it's only like seven and a quarter or something like that. I know it's 10 in California, but let me see if I can find yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's significantly lower for the, the federal minimum wage. So you're, you're essentially talking about a doubling of the federal minimum wage and a 50% increase in California. Crazy. So, but in, what is In-N-Out going to do? Yeah, I don't know. Are they going to turn into McDonald's where they're now just the... Attracting the same quality of employee? Right and, now, and unable in to retain them and unable to be a shining beacon in a market where they yeah. see the value of paying somebody more to create a better user experience, or, or is in and out then going to have to push to 21 bucks an hour? Right. Um, and that's the point I was going to make. And let's, which of those are desired, by the way? Let's take a company where you have, you, you have employees who are earning 10 bucks an hour, employees who are earning 15 bucks an hour, and employees who are earning 20 bucks an hour. If the minimum wage goes up to 15, now all of a sudden the people that were making 15 are making the same as the lesser skilled people below them. The so now are they happy or do you now need to pay them more? Well, it's, well, wait, I'd know so much more than that person, yet I'm making the same amount of money. Well, and if you push I'm that guy that got hired yesterday up to the $15 an hour that I'm making or the 20 bucks an hour that the dude next to me is making, um, then there's some resentment in the workplace. There's a trickle up. I mean, that's the point we're making here. There's a trickle up with this minimum wage as well. And so it's not just affecting 
the lowest paid people. It's affecting the whole model, right? the whole business model, and that's going to make everything... So the question expensive. then comes is that regardless of your industry, where does that money come from? And most of the time it's going to be passed through the consumer, I got to imagine. And even at something at a county level where, I don't know, Parks and Recs, for example... And I, I haven't worked in Park and Recs. I can only speculate how it works. But they've got some budget, right? I don't know. Um, okay, I found the minimum wage for is Daniel Wright, seven twenty-five an hour, effective January first, twenty fifteen. And it does say here that there were twenty-nine states with a minimum wage higher than the federal yeah. minimum from twenty fourteen to twenty fifteen. And also, um, Connecticut is slightly higher than will be slightly higher than california next year 10 10 an hour it's an expensive place to live connecticut yeah so it's right up there with marin county mm -hmm. so i'm curious um yeah it, it's one of those things where even at the park and rec so let's say park and rec for the city of slow they're they've got the division that runs softball and there's a, and there's a guy that there's a guy though, right? And he probably has a couple different jobs, but part of his compensation comes from the softball dues. And I imagine right. that that's probably a minimum wage job. You, wait, I just to. want to clarify. You mean our slow softball league, where we no longer can have a scorekeeper, where our little manual scoreboard is missing the innings and the number nine on one of the team's sides, and we only get one new softball per game right and the fees by the way have gone up dramatically each year largely as a cost to insurance like one four dollar softball per game okay so that's the league we're talking about right when minimum wage it requires that that guy that runs that for us that his wage must go up by 50 percent um what will they do do they cancel because again here's the deal though because John made the point that it cuts out private enterprise, and I, that's really easy for me to agree with. What happens to government enterprise, though? Or that softball, that softball league? Do they? I mean, they're going to have to raise the cost of the softball yeah, league, the or terminate the service, right? Yeah. Okay. So again, what you've got is the the cost being passed through the end consumer. Now let's move over into the city or something, right? Where um, whatever it is takes minimum wage by the way most of the government jobs are already above minimum wage anyway that is kind of one of the interesting things about the government jobs but when those go up they still operate off of a budget and their budget is their income and expenses and their incomes are typically fees um, and or taxes so some way or another in most scenarios i can think of fees and or taxes are going to have to go up yeah and so um I don't get it. I don't understand it. Let's and let's talk about this concept of the living wage. What's it cost to buy a home in San Luis Obispo? Um, Entry level house, just a median house. County or city? Wherever. Well, you pick. Tell me where you're talking. Let's go county. Okay, median house. Um, what is it? It's like four fifty, five hundred. Yeah, but that's median though. I'm gonna say you could find affordable housing in Slow County. You could buy a house out. You'd have to do some looking if you and went, settling. Let's yeah. call it three hundred fifty grand. Okay. What? Um, I'm picking on an area that I'm not too familiar with, but I know someone who owns a home, so I'm just gonna pull it. But it's a it's a good example, I think. 
How about Elkhorn, Indiana? Yeah. What's it cost to buy a a family's a normal median family home in that town? Um, thirty-five grand. So is the living wage should it be the same in San Luis Obispo, California, as it is in Elkhorn, Indiana? Absolutely not. It's and by the way, clear I to wanted me to, that the cost of living is significantly different. I wanted to pipe in a minute ago and say when you were kind of running through some of those numbers, um, I'm dissatisfied. First of all, that there's, um, I mean, I okay. So the, you got to have some kind of federal minimum wage. Twenty nine states, did you say, exceed the federal minimum wage? Yeah. Awesome. The states should be in more control of that than anything. And this has been a California initiative, so I'll get behind that. Um, I forget talking about Indiana. I don't know enough about that right. place. Let's I want to talk, let's talk about, about California. Let's talk about California because um, I, I know some places, and we can go there if you'd like. Um, Barstow. I'm a SoCal guy. Yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I hail from. So, um, but I want to tell you about some places down there where um, you know El Centro, Victorville, Baker's, you know Bakersfield, Barstow, Hemet, uh, Hesperia, Yucaipa. There's there's these places in California where you can still go today and buy, or even I mean California Valley. You could go buy five acres out there with a manufactured home on it for twenty five grand. Uh, there are places all over California where 15 bucks an hour would be pretty sweet. Um, 15 bucks an hour in San Francisco, I don't even think you can buy a bus pass to get back and forth <laughs> no. from where you need to go on 15 bucks an hour. So it, it makes me think immediately that throwing a one-size-fits-all over the entire state seems wildly, embarrassingly pathetic. Um, it should be something absolutely done more regionally. And I get that California as a whole has to make some decisions. It's going to be outright painful. But think about that, though. Um, you see these listings because yeah. they'll show up in our local MLS as Santa Margarita. Mm -hmm. And you go, whoa, what? A three-bedroom, two-bath house for $97,000. Where's that? Where's <laughs> Santa Margarita? It's way Soda east. Lake That's what Road. you call fixer upper. Where's Soda Lake Road? I need a yeah, map. Yeah, yeah. Oh, holy crap! That's not Santa Margarita. That's like that. That's Kern County. Really. It's I like that, that tweaker farm place out in the middle yeah, sure. of nowhere yeah. out there. Um, by the way, out there in that area, and I'm not overly familiar with it, but what do we have? I mean, is there? I assume there's a gas station. They did the solar farm out there and things. So there's there's probably got to be a couple little stores. Uh, Will no. those stores even be able to exist no, there's anymore? No, there's a school and there's a guy called the Burrito Wagon, which I'm, I think he makes a lot of money actually out there. But huh. but there's no grocery store after it's Santa kind of a, It's just kind of an interesting thing to me, no. this idea. And by the way, I, I want to say this because um, I think this is one of the most significant things here is um, go back to the Industrial Revolution. Do we need some minimum wage? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. People were landlocked. Oftentimes people were born and raised and died in a city they never got out of. They didn't have any way out of it. There wasn't programs. There wasn't training. You couldn't get scholarships. There wasn't trade schools. There wasn't the internet. Um, people didn't have cars. You'd live your whole life without ever flying on an airplane. Um, 
in that city, the factory, whether they made cars or widgets or widgets for cars or whatever they did, a lot of people worked in that same factory or in that coal mine, in that whatever, in that place where um, the workforce um, had conditions and really needed some government intervention about creating a safe work environment. We needed some OSHA desperately. We needed um, some wage standards desperately, uh, child labor laws desperately. Um, and you know what? Those probably had to come federally to come smack down the states and make those things a possibility. But today... If you want to go open up your burrito rolling restaurant right here in town, Dan, and put your ad in the paper that you want to hire the best darn burrito rollers you can for two bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Go for it, buddy. Yeah. And if they don't come, you're going to have to come up to market rate to where you can attract some labor. And your product's going to reflect your crap wage. Your restaurant's going to reflect your crap attitude about what people are worth. Your patrons, everybody will understand that your entire thing here is a sham because you don't value all of it. Whereas if you set up a restaurant like In-N-Out where you say, no, I get that you can get away with paying people the minimum, but... We're going to have this family-run outfit where the people feel special. We're going to make them feel special. We believe they are special, and we pay them more. We're going to bring a good product. The people that go there, they feel that. It's clean. The people are happy. The employees are happy. The The whites seem whiter in in and out You know what I mean? The lights are brighter. The red's brighter. The bathrooms are cleaner. Like You just feel when you get your burger. You never got a burger at in and out where the patty was two-thirds of the way off the bun and the ketchup was on the outside of the bun and not inside the bun. You didn't get all of that like you get at McDonald's where they just say, hey, you, you're late. Get over there and get going on doing a crappy job for the lowest wage we're allowed to pay you. So I really think that in this modern modern economy and modern world, and you know, I'll have to admit, living here in California, perhaps I'm a little out of touch with the way it works in the rest of the world. Um, in Elkert, Indiana, they all work at the mobile home building factory, um, and maybe they do still need a lot more intervention than what we have here. But um, I just I don't get it. Um, I didn't know what minimum wage was because I don't have a minimum wage employee. Um, I don't have well, we ever had a minimum wage employee? I think we have, but have you tried hiring? I mean, and I'm not necessarily asking you, but it's Go a rhetorical question. Have you tried hiring a minimum wage employee around here? Good luck. It's hard. You don't get a lot of resumes. We, you know, we've advertised a position for above minimum wage. And it's hard. You don't get a lot of applicants. So if you're a if you're People a minimum determine what their if you're a minimum wage, wage proponent, um, let me ask you this: Whoever you are out there, this is your food for thought for the day. Um, let's why not make it thirty bucks an hour? I find this interesting. Here, there's five states on this map that have no state minimum wage. And maybe they're really the ones that need it. They're all in the South. It's West Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, and um, uh, Mississippi. They don't have them. They have no state minimum wage. They just have to operate by the federal minimum they have wage. To follow, yeah. And to me, those are like some of the less economic advantage states. And maybe they really need a state minimum wage there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. 
I don't know. I don't know enough about them. I mean, I've yeah. been in West Virginia before. But going back to the question, though, why not 30 bucks an hour? What, why not, though? Seriously, if you support minimum wage, why not make minimum wage 30 bucks an hour? That's really expensive. So you're suggesting that manipulating the wage would have some kind of an effect? That's $62,400 a year. You still really couldn't buy the average home in the state at 30 bucks an hour. But why not? And I said this earlier in the show, but sometimes you need to make an extreme to make a point. So you recognize that pushing that minimum wage has some negative effect and at some point is downright damaging. Yeah. In fact, I got a text here just a moment ago from my wife who happens to work in a manufacturing business here located in San Luis Obispo. And she said that increasing the minimum wage will hit manufacturing companies really hard, especially when they manufacture in the United States, which is something we want to see more of. We want to see more companies manufacture things here. Right. So that makes it hard when you're competing abroad. Yeah. I, I also feel like for full disclosure that politically speaking, we tend to lean different ways, but this is an issue where we're pretty much in line with with the thought here. Hey, I have an idea. I mean, we're, we're getting down to the end of the show here, so I'm just going to go ahead and say this. The Fed's been pulling all the strings, you know, trying to make all this stuff happen with the fiat currency and everything they got going on. They're really struggling with creating that 2% real inflation that they need. So maybe it's a little, <laughs> I uh, thought that too. Actually. Maybe just a little retreat out at the beach houses this last time the feds came together and said, Hey, look, what I know we're how going to, to do is make all the states raise minimum wage to 15% or do their best to get us there. And if a state, a populous state like California goes ahead and does this now, um, that will create the inflation that we've been looking for anyway and can get this uh, burden off of our shoulders that we've been struggling for eight years to create. So, you know, as I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, I think most of that crap's outright laughable. However, um, I just, I struggle in seeing the value of it. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's not going to affect us too terribly much. I do think overall, though, it just raises the cost of living. And um, those things all bleed through back to the consumer. And, and or it drives more companies to hire abroad. Where wages are, where or yeah, or leave, yeah. you know, I don't know. Fun times, minimum wage, that minimum wage, you <laughs> tricky little devil. Hey guys, if you need loan help this week, give us a call. We're at five four three loan, which is five four three five six two six, or find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week.